Welcome to Connecting the Docs, a podcast from the State Archives of North Carolina, where archivists connect archival materials to fascinating and true stories from the past. The theme of season two is Unprocessed, where each week we deliver rare and often overlooked topics related to North Carolina's storied history. Now here's your host, John Horan. Hello and welcome to this holiday episode of Connecting the Docs. I'm your host, John Horan, and today we're going to talk about one of the key ingredients to a great holiday season, food. But first, let me introduce my guests, starting with Outreach Specialist Brooke Chuka. Hello! And Callie Beatty, Outreach Intern, who's a first-year Library Science Master's student at UNC Chapel Hill. Hey! And today we're going to talk about recipes in the archives. This is another unusual thing that, that, that I'm not sure a lot of people think about when they think about archives. They don't know that they think about recipes and sort of that kind of family history. Do you want to take it away from there, get started? Yeah, for sure. So the uh, digital collections um, for the state archives has a dedicated section um, called Food and Cooking. And you can actually find that at digital.ncdcr.gov. And then from there, you can just browse. There's a lot of different collections. And then, you know, you can click on the food and cooking collection. And kind of from there, you can just start exploring. But the three main recipe books that we're going to focus on are the Polk recipe book, the Lillian Dodd cookbook, and uh, the M. Lewis recipe book. And that's like M. Lewis is from 1830. Um, Lillian Dodd is from 1859, and the Polk Recipe Book, there's actually two, so one from 1858 and another from 1866. So we're dealing with some some uh, historical cooking, which is pretty fun. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add, just to add a little bit of context um, for what we know about those the, the folks who created those recipe books, since you mentioned those the Lucy Polk cookbooks from 1858 and 1866. Uh, so we know Lucy Williams Polk's brother-in-law was President James Polk. These recipe books, though, were probably created by her mother. The, the name Mary K. Williams is written in them. So they're maybe, they may be even a little bit older than, than the dates we've got there. And going back to the Lillian Dodd recipe book, that, again, was probably also written by her mother. But there are poems throughout, and those are all dated to 1859. But it's really kind of neat to find the, the poetry that somebody wrote scattered in with these recipes, recipes for, for cakes and puddings and pickles and preserves and that sort of thing. But then also you'll find, you know, a way to expel rats or dyes um, to dye wool and linen. And there, there's even a, an antidote for poison, things like that. So um, these recipe books are not what you would think of as a cookbook today, right? They, these were books created by these women to run their homes. So they're really different from, from what we're working with today, for sure. I can attest to that. I mean, we're gonna talk about the recipes that we all selected and cooked together, well, separately, but together as is the, as is the way in COVID. But <laughs> I can certainly attest to the kind of interesting different uh, methods and ingredients used in all of yes. this stuff yes i mean well let's get started with that so the the first recipe i think we have for everybody is is a cream cake recipe so uh who wants to talk about what that is well there's some what, how where do we even start i guess the first fun, funny thing that 
um, we can chat about is sort of the interpretation of like what cream to use. Um, and maybe that was just me. I'd be curious to hear. I know Brooke and I sort of had um, different interpretations of that where I was interpreting it as like a heavy cream, like a liquid heavy cream. And then I think there was a butter, I think someone was talking about maybe like a um, buttermilk and then there's like a sour cream as a consideration. Can we also talk about what a cream cake is? Um, yeah. Because to me, when I saw that recipe, I thought, oh, cream cakes, that sounds like something you might have with tea, something yes. sweet, um, mm-hmm. maybe it would be- I gotta say, my when I heard it, I, my mind went straight to the Great British Bake Off. Oh, yeah, I, I was right? just like, there's going to be Victoria Sponge or something. I don't even know what that is, but I thought that for sure that's what this is. Yeah. And it, it wasn't. And no it wasn't sugar, at No all. sugar at all. No yeah. sugar. Yeah. Yeah. So so even just looking at the recipe, I think Callie and I were talking like, is it like a biscuit? What? You know, so that's part of the reason why we wanted to test it out to see what it would, what it really was. So the recipe that we have from the Polk, the Lucy Polk recipe book is a quart of cream, four eggs, sifted flour sufficient for a thick batter, a small teaspoonful of pearl ash, a spoonful of salt. So those are our ingredients. Uh, the, the recipe itself is beat four eggs very light and stir them by degrees into a quart of cream and gradually enough of sifted flour to make a thick batter. Put in the salt, dissolve the pearl ash in as much vinegar as it will cover it and stir into the mixture. Bake it in muffin rings, send them up hot, split them open and butter them. Uh, she also notes sour cream is better than sweet. The pearl ash will remove the acidity and the batter will be improved in lightness. So yeah, so the, the so this is the cream cake recipe. So pretty well, let's sim- start let's start with pearl ash yes. real quick. I wanna I, I'm just gonna get right to it. I read that first. I read it as like fear lash. I was like I don't know what yeah. that is. <laughs> we figured it was a, a leavening agent, so we were trying to figure that up, and we came out. We finally were like no 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 that says pearl ash. And I just, it's just like, okay, so now we know it exists in the world, but I don't know how to find it. They said something about using wood from a fireplace. I said, let's not talk, let's not get into that. <laughs> Which so would have I said, been very common in this time period, though, to also, use your ashes. Also, is that right? So, yeah. yeah. It was popular in like German cooking, I guess. Uh, I saw that. Historically, and maybe still today in like traditional recipes, which is interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I have a fireplace. I guess I could have dug some ashes out, but I thought, mm, I want to eat these. So, no, went with baking soda. Yes. Wimped out. Good. Okay, good. So we all three went with that. That's, that's, good. that's good to hear. Yeah. And then the other, the other piece was the non-quantity factor on the flour. Oh, that yes. Was, that, that, that one was that, – that threw me off. I was like uh, – how? so we ended up putting like, like a cup and a quarter-ish and huh. – my results were more souffle or quiche okay. than biscuit. I'll just say that. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, yeah. So I am up in the air on what kind of cream I think they are talking about. So I did two batches. Um, I did one with um, just heavy cream, and then I did another with like four cups of sour cream. And um, I used a lot more flour than that. <laughs> but well, I got to tell you, I used four cups. Of, I used 32 ounces of, of Greek yogurt, and I yeah, should have okay. used a lot more, a lot more, a lot more <laughs> flour. I mean, it was it like we were stirring it. And I was stirring it and stirring it. And I, look, I, said, I looked at my wife and said, hey, what do you think of this? And she's like, I, that looks like it could be a thick batter, as, as it says in the description. 
but I don't know. And I was like, I don't either. And I just didn't want them to turn into like bricks. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you just overflower something that's turning into bricks. And I didn't want that. Yeah. So I went with the under and I went two under. It was, I, I would have lost that bet. Well, how much, how much flour did, did, did both, well, did you use Callie? Because I think, Brooke, you have a different take altogether, right? <laughs> sort, um, of, sort of. Go ahead, Callie. I, I started with like half cup increments um and i think i ended on like three cups um i put a decent amount in yeah like three you know do half check and then another half so one and kind of count up from that so yeah about three cups for each um which as i was going into it i too was worried that they were to come out like bricks or taste just like flour um but it turned out okay the difference there between us to, to, is that you used half cup measurements as increments and I used quarter cups oh, and, gotcha. and uh, I stopped it at one and a quarter, one and a half ish and should have doubled. Yeah, well, I followed Callie's uh, method using half cups, but I, I made mine gluten free. So I used a gluten free flour mix and I kept it simple. I just did the, the cup for cup gluten free mix that you can get in any grocery store now. Just cause, and I have to eat gluten-free anyway, so I was like, I'll just try this out. Um, so I, I started the same way as you, Callie. I stopped at around two and a half cups of flour, though. I figured once to, I make muffins all the time, so I, once I reach that muffin consistency, and especially because the recipe said to bake in muffin tins or mu- muffin rings, mm-hmm. that's where I decided to call it. So two and a half cups of flour, and they were actually really fantastic. I, yeah. I made the sour cream version. Which four cups, so it calls for a quart of sour cream. That's four cups. That's a ton of sour cream. (laughs) Um, I've never baked like that in my life. But I guess that the fat in the sour cream kind of mimicked butter. But they came out really well. I was really pleased with them. I'm still, I might make this again. (laughs) Oh, I like, I wrote this recipe down and put it, I have like a folder that I keep things that I want to make or have made and liked. I, I wrote this down with like, the more more details that was given in the recipe book. <laughs> yeah, they're good. I loved them. Yes, I might I might make them again and actually use the right amount of flour this time. <laughs> well, it's yeah, so you totally hard. Should. It's and it's so hard to know, right? It's so open to interpretation. And we didn't even talk about how it, you know, when I guess when Lucy Polk was making these, they did not have ovens where you just pressed a button and selected, you know, right. 30 350 degrees. Um, so she would have been making, someone would have been making these and, you know, a wood burning stove perhaps, um, where you didn't just set the temperature. And so you'd maybe bake them for hours. So for me, I just picked 350 for my oven temperature and baked them for 30 minutes. Yeah. That's pretty standard. So you did 30 minutes? I did 30 minutes. Yeah. But I, I think I should have cooked them for maybe another five to 10 minutes longer. It's funny because, you know, there's three key ingredients in this in this recipe i'm using ingredients loosely that are undefined yeah. you know flour time and temperature mm-hmm. yep. these things are are just completely undefined and yeah. so we were just like every 10 minutes checking like uh, uh do we think these yeah. are done no yeah. these are definitely raw in the middle keep going <laughs> you know going back to the bake-off or the baking show it's just like Paul Hollywood would not like these. Well, and this would have been one of the technical challenges. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Where they just sure. provide you the ingredients and some basic instructions, but you get you have to figure it out uh, on your own. Yeah, because it would have been different for everybody. Everyone's going to have a different kind of stove. They, they're going to want to heat it at a different temperature. So, But these are things people probably knew because they had done it for so long. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally different from 
from the way that we cook today, for sure. Do we have any other notes or thoughts to share on the, on these cream cakes? No, other than just like I highly recommend trying them. Um, it, it's a fun it's a fun process because yeah, it is so experimental. Like if you have a Sunday, we have some time. Like it's just fun. And then also, yeah, if you can get them to come out right, they're delicious. I know it sounds crazy, but they really were just so good. I was do surprised. either do either of you have any thoughts on how to kind of dessertify them is that a possibility or am i am i barking up the wrong tree i think you could um actually in the research that my friend and i did for cream cakes and we like i said we found something similar in a, in at least two other cookbooks but one of them recommended serving it with custard oh. so you could have your cream cake and some custard to me it sounds very like british tea kind mm -hmm. of situation but I think you could do custard and some strawberry jam, that sort of thing. And, yeah. and that could be a, a little dessert. You could leave, yeah, you could leave them as is and just add in that element. So you'd have a sweet, salty kind of thing. That'd be pretty yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, now we have three more recipes to talk about that, that you all uh, made. I didn't <laughs> venture this time into the, into the waters. I just let, let, let the professionals take care of it. So what, what are these three recipes? I can talk about the tomato ketchup recipe from 1858, which came from the Polk recipe book. This was fun. This was a, I wouldn't say it was a labor of love because it was kind of a set it and forget it type thing. Um, but it was a simmer for six hours recipe. Um, <laughs> so it, it had a couple, so I can, I can, I transcribed the recipe so I'd, can read it. So it starts and it says one gallon of skinned tomatoes. And I chose to just pick up the cans of the already skinned tomatoes. We don't need to burden ourselves with that. Uh, so yeah, one gallon of skinned tomatoes, four tablespoons of salt, two tablespoons of black pepper, half tablespoon of allspice, three pods of red pepper, which was interesting, three tablespoons of mustard ground fine. And then you simmer slowly in sharp vinegar with no <laughs> amount given for three to four hours. And at the end of the recipe, it notes that you can add garlic juice as an optional addition. Huh. So there were a couple of things I did just to get myself started that I was like, these are the adaptations I need to make. I just used red peppers, like straight up. And I, you know, just how bell peppers, red bell peppers, because I Googled and was like, kind of unclear if they were looking for like a spicy, like red pepper is just so vague. Um, and then specifically talking about the pods, I was like, I guess they want, I don't know what that means. I don't know. Like, I think like seed pods, but why would you put that in? So anyway, we just did red peppers and then I did white vinegar as a sharp vinegar. And again, yeah, I cut corners a little bit with just buying the cans of tomatoes. And then I added garlic uh, at the beginning because why not? Because how would you add garlic juice? I don't even know what that I, could be. I Googled that just as like a, am I crazy to not know what this is? Am I missing something big? And I guess, you know, people out there will juice garlic, but you can imagine huh. how labor intensive that is. So I just put the garlic in straight up and then pretty much just checked on it periodically. It says three to four, but at the four hour mark, it was still pretty watery and I wanted it to not be a sauce. I wanted it to be like a closer to the thickness of like a ketchup that we would imagine today. So that was why I simmered for six hours. <laughs> um, and then letting it sit in the fridge overnight, that thickened it up a little bit more. And I was able to kind of achieve that consistency. So it turned out 
better than I thought, but it was very tangy, as you can imagine. Very, um, it wasn't spicy, but it had that kind of heat from the mustard. I didn't personally love it. My boyfriend really liked it, and he said that it reminded him of like a jerk chicken sauce. And he actually put it on some tofu in the oven and did like a, like marinated it and then put it in the oven and he really liked it. So I'm going to call it a success, but I don't know that I would personally make it again. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds like it's pretty uh, time intensive. What made you choose ketchup as a recipe um, to try? I think I sort of was just captivated a little bit by a lot of the sort of question marks in the recipe. And I was like, I wonder if I just kind of interpret this how I want, like if it, it will it turn out? And then also just the time. I don't know, there were so many sort of weird variables about it that it seemed like a true experiment. And I think that was what was appealing. Yeah. And then also I've just read in the past about like the history of ketchup. And then of course the history of like, I can't remember if it was Heinz or Hunt's that was first. I believe it was Heinz. But anyway, um, that history is... I know some people I know some people in Pittsburgh who, who if you get that wrong, will be very angry. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. They, they will not be happy about that. <laughs> so I knew that that was like had, you know, it's a very historical or historically significant uh, to the food ways, to the food world. So I was just curious. I guess it was historically used. Uh, you cover up uh, food that's going bad, rotting meat meat that is just yeah. kind of on its way out but you don't want to waste it or don't have any other option go ahead and just put some um super yeah, just slather it down just yeah yep mm. just, <laughs> there you go gotta make it palatable i guess mm -hmm. yep yeah. and there are quite a few ketchup recipes throughout <clears throat> the cookbooks um there's like a bell pepper one that doesn't have any tomatoes at all yeah i remember seeing uh, yeah the the number of ketchup or catsup recipes yes, catsup. in these in these books, I, I did a little digging myself about the history of it. And I guess originally ketchups were made with anything, with oysters, with walnuts, that sort of thing. And the tomato ketchup that we know is a, a truly American product um, <laughs> that, that came around in the United States. So, well, cool. I'm, I'm glad it was a success. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for that. And yeah. um, what else have we made? Well, since, since we're talking about vinegar, I'm going to jump into a pickle recipe that I made because that was, you know, we talked about how many ketchup recipes there were in the cookbooks. There's mm -hmm. also a ton of pickles. Um, yes. And that's, I mean, it's very North Carolina. It's also, you know, in the 19th century, it's a way to preserve your food, uh, your vegetables at least. So in searching through these, these manuscripts, I found a pickle recipe I had never heard of in the Lillian Dodd book called Pickle Lily, L-I-L-Y. Mm -hmm. um, -L so I thought, I'm going to make that because I have no clue what it is. <laughs> That's um, another British thing, by the way. It is. So I had to do that, <laughs> yeah. that research. Um, so yeah, uh, it is basically a colonial British interpretation of Indian uh, or South Asian pickles. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's basically just whatever vegetables you have on hand. I think in, in the UK, they often use cauliflower, onions, and cucumbers. And in the UK, it is still made and sold and eaten today, often called piccalilli, just one word. And they use mustard and turmeric. And what I found really interesting is that it's often consumed around the holidays because it's a way to brighten up your leftovers. If you've got leftover turkey or ham from a Christmas dinner, 
you can use those leftovers, add this pickle relish to it, and it just kind of brightens it up and creates something new. So if anyone's thinking about holiday gift ideas, maybe Pickle Lily is, <laughs> is for you. But I don't think it stuck around in the U.S., at least definitely not in the South. But, you know, we've got Chow Chow and mm -hmm. we've got our Mount Olive pickles. Yes. Um, so maybe we don't need Pickle Lily down here. The, the recipe... Are you suggesting then you didn't like it? Um, I'll get to that. Okay. Um, All I have, right. I have don't want to jump the gun. Yeah, I, get, I, I have thoughts about it. Um, but I'm going to read the recipe. It's pretty short. Whoever wrote the Lily and Dodd cookbook starts with scald some vinegar and season with salt, pepper, cloves, mace, and allspice. And when highly seasoned and cold, pour into jars. Drop into this vinegar as they ripen small cucumbers, tender radish pods, young beans, very small onions, cork cloves. So there are already questions for, that I had. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess the first being, I've never heard of a radish pod. I've eaten radishes, obviously, and I know them as a root vegetable, but it makes sense. If you are gardening, you, you know, you're growing your own food, you would let some of those radishes stay in the ground and flower and go to seed, and then you'd end up with seed pods. Um, so you'd probably save some of those seeds for your next round of radishes, but you might also eat the pods. And there are yeah. varieties of radishes that are made specifically for radish pods. They apparently look a lot like a green bean kind of thing, but then they've got that peppery radish flavor. So now I'm really intrigued. I want to. I want to grow them. <laughs> so, you, so you didn't. You didn't like I, in the last, you know, th month. Plant no. these things, <laughs> magically grow them, and then use the pods. You're saying you didn't I do that. I wish. I oh, wish. Okay. No. Okay. I. I had to. I used regular old radishes. I know this is a podcast and folks can't see it, but here's my, my oh, jar uh, with uh, cucumbers and radishes. And I used pearl onions and then I got some sugar snap peas. That's all I could find at the grocery store. That was a quick I, question. Yeah. Of, like interpretation question? and making links between recipes. So going back to the ketchup recipe, when they're asking for red pepper pods, do you think that they were referring to like the seeds or some sort of like flowering aspect like, i would think um i know that folks would dry their own red peppers and not like bell peppers but spicy red peppers and yeah. i bet you would use like toss three of those in the pan and let it simmer yeah that's what i, I that's what i would think i i probably should have gone with a spicy little spicy little pepper but i don't love heat so anyway i just was thinking about the pod thing wanted to ask yeah. you so thank you for that yeah well yeah of course I guess jumping back to my pickle lily. So I did, I aside from switching out radish pods for radishes, I did follow the spices. So I've got salt, pepper, cloves, and allspice. I skipped the mace, couldn't find it anywhere, but I read that you can just substitute cloves or allspice for it. So we've got those flavors covered, which I love those flavors, but I love them in, you know, pumpkin bread or, mm -hmm. you know, not my pickles. Um, <laughs> So I have to say, when I heated up the vinegar and I added the cloves and everything to it, it smelled terrible. I was not a fan. I was not expecting this to be any good. But then, you know, I, I let it sit. I, you know, dropped my vegetables in it and I just let it sit in the fridge for a week. And I got to say, the, the spices totally mellowed out. The, the veggies are crisp and light. The, the spices aren't too in your face. But what is, there, there's a major kick of vinegar in this because it's just straight vinegar with some spices. And I, you know, I did a little digging. Most modern pickle recipes mix vinegar and water. 
um, to make a more balanced flavor. And I think that would be better in this case. But this is, I can only eat a couple of these veggies at a time because the, the kick of vinegar is just too, too much. Yeah. So yeah, if I were to make it again, I, that's what I would do is I'd, I'd probably split half and half, go vinegar and water. And then I'd probably change the, the spices as well. Cause I'm, yeah, I'd much prefer more of like savory spices, maybe some garlic, maybe some bay leaf, maybe mustard seeds, that sort of thing. It's interesting. I think that both your re recipes so far with the overpowering vinegar <laughs> and both your recipes so far talked about it. Well, at least you both talked about how it was to cover up, you know, you know to cover up some meat on its way out or to brighten up some leftovers. In both instances, they, there might be some kind of flavors you don't want. Mm -hmm. And this vinegar <laughs> would just. Yeah douse it you would just yes. not you would not notice so maybe that's maybe they were looking for some really in your face vinegar flavor and maybe we like, just have better methods now so we don't we don't need that maybe aging vegetables too you know like they're like oh darn we've got to use these up and then they're like well let's just have some a lot of vinegar yeah. <laughs> you know yeah use what Absolutely. you got right. yeah well and when you think about most of the folks in the 19th century didn't have refrigeration, especially not the way we do today. So you've got to you've got to use what you what the vegetables that you do have, or find a way to preserve them for later. So right. So both of these would be, but both the ketchup and the the pickle lily recipes would be a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. But I've got another recipe for you. Let's and have would, it. This would be a way to preserve fruit instead. Now I didn't go with preserves, jellies, jams, although you can find a ton of those recipes in, in these books online but I made blackberry cordial. And I was drawn to that because I've never really had a cordial, but I was first introduced to a cordial through Anne of Green Gables. Callie, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I don't know. I think a lot of our listeners would remember Anne of Green Gables serving Diana Berry what she thought was raspberry cordial, <laughs> and it turned out to be currant wine. And, and then her friend Diana Berry goes home drunk and um, it's a big to-do and Anne's in the depths of despair. But anyway, um, so uh, so I wanted to try out a, a blackberry cordial and I'll just read the recipe. This is from the Polk recipe book again. Gather your blackberries and mash them up and then strain them through a sifter and put all the pulp and seed out. Then to every quart of juice, put one pound of brown sugar, stew it well together and when done, take three measures of syrup to one of brandy, then bottle it. Put any kind of spice you like, all spices generally used. So I did make this recipe as it, as it called for. I did use frozen blackberries because, you know, it's November. We don't have <laughs> ripe, fresh, uh, in-season blackberries right now. And uh, I did it as she said. I mashed the blackberries up, put them through a fine mesh sieve, and that took forever. That took maybe 45 minutes to an hour just to mash them and get them through that sieve. So it really didn't make a juice. It was more of a, a pulp, you know, a, a heavier consistency. But then, you know, I, I put it on the stove and added the brown sugar just to melt it. I, I let it cook a little bit, but not enough to, to turn it into a jam or a jelly. And then I mixed in the brandy. But it really is, you know, three quarters of blackberry syrup to one quarter of brandy. I understand historically cordials were, were created for medicinal purposes to, mm -hmm. to strengthen the heart or increase circulation. And that's why they're called cordials. That Latin word core means heart. But around this time in the 19th century, folks were mixing them. You could mix them with wine and tea and that sort of thing. So I, I have to say that it was a beautiful recipe, really bright colors. Again, this would be a really neat gift for a holiday exchange kind of thing. 
but because I think I, I mashed the raw berries and pushed them through a sieve, it was so pulpy, if that makes sense. It's more like I muddled the blackberries. And, the, and then, you know, I, you should be able to store this just in a pantry or a, a liquor cabinet, that sort of thing. But I popped it in the fridge just to, just in case, right? And in there, it did sort of solidify into a jelly. So not a total success, maybe. It tasted great. It's got that tart blackberry flavor. I use cloves instead of allspice. So there's also a kind of a clovey flavor to it. But I got really inspired and I made it again to try to improve. You know, I didn't want that mashed pulpy kind of consistency. So I made it again. I followed the recipe, but I flipped it. I, I took the berries first and put them on the stove with a splash of water and just let them cook for about half an hour to let the juices release. With the, with the spices, I added clove and cinnamon this time and some black peppercorns just for like an earthy kind mm -hmm. of subtle, subtle earthy flavor. And then from there, added the sugar and bottled it up. And I've got my little jars Yay. of it again. And so this is a much clearer, much more liquid version. And so I'm like, I really like this version. I Last night, I tried it with a little gin and lemonade. So maybe more of a summer drink. But I'm thinking for the holidays, I might mix it with some sparkling wine. So I would recommend the Blackberry Cordial from the Lucy Polk recipe book, but with a few little changes, like I said. That's terrific. I love that. Did you say you tried it straight up? If you just drink it straight up, it's it's like a, a syrup. It's um, <laughs> it's very sweet. You do get a kick of brandy, but it's not. There's not a ton of brandy in it. But I get why. You know, if you drink you know, a small cordial glass of this, it would feel very medicinal, I think. You get the warmth going. Yeah, it, it it's more like a, a cough syrup kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, would, I would definitely recommend diluting it or mixing it with something else. For the one that I made that's a little thicker, I think you could swirl it in ice cream. I think Ooh. that would be really delicious. So lots of uses for the blackberry cordial. Maybe the thicker one could go on the cream cake and that is the Yes. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. That, that, now we're making some sense. We're dreaming yeah. big. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Good. All right. So and then can you kind of recap? Can you all recap the, the recipe books that we use today? Yes. Um, so we looked at the Hulk recipe book. And there are two of those that you'll find in the digital collection on the Lillian Dodd cookbook. And then we mentioned the M. Lewis recipe book, but I don't know that we talked about a recipe from that today. We um, didn't, not today, mostly because in the M. Lewis book, it's it's a lot of dye recipes. So yes. if you're going to try to dye your own linens and things, definitely check that out. Because um, mm -hmm. I know there are people who do that. But then there are a lot of ketchup and tomato sauce recipes. Yeah. So repeats. Just, of yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So we focus mostly on Lucy Polk and the Lillian Dodd cookbooks. Yeah. And I want to say I, like, these are super, yeah, everything's digitized other than maybe the barrier of like trying to read some of the, you know, 1850s handwriting, you know, it's all there accessible. If you want to make a weekend day out of it, find something fun to, to make, you know, it's all in the digital collections. So sure. If you're looking for a new hobby, you can be a 19th century cook. I did want to mention, you know, cause we've talked about sauces and preserves and pickles and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really talk about meat dishes. Oh yes. And that's because there just were not very many dishes involving meat. There were recipes for curing pork and beef, but to be honest, none of us were going to try that. Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've talked about, we've been trying to figure out why those recipes are just not included here. 
because they certainly are in published cookbooks. So we don't really have an answer. For me, my assumption is that the women who wrote these cookbooks were not doing all the cooking themselves. I think they had mm -hmm. people cooking for them because let's think about it. These are white women in the 19th century who probably had someone else doing the cooking, but they, you know, they were literate. So, you know, they, they could read and write. They were allowed to learn how to read and write. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think they were able to focus on cakes and puddings yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah. Rather Perhaps than, it was a hobby for them too. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. So I do think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, these recipes are just a snapshot of one perspective. Yeah. Um, of course they don't cover the wide variety of foodways of North Carolina. So I do, yeah, I do want to just acknowledge that. I appreciate that. And, and, and thank you both for cooking and coming on the show with me today. And I had a good time making those cream cakes. I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I hope, I hope you all had a good time making your stuff. And Absolutely. I want to put a plug in for anybody who's looking for some holiday ideas. I mean, I know we, Thanksgiving is, is behind us, but I think that for Christmas, could put some piccalilli together or or you know a cordial could be fun absolutely i highly recommend it <laughs> excellent and i and i think i think we'll be able to link some of the stuff in the description as well absolutely so yeah let's do that and look to it for the uh, recipes and yeah thank you both again thank you thanks for having us john yeah. this season of connecting the docs is created by staff members of the state archives of north carolina Special thanks this week to our guests, Brooke Chuka and Callie Beatty, and to our producer, Randy McRae, and of course, to the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each podcast, Judy Allen Dotson. I'm your host, John Horan. Thanks for joining us this week on Connecting the Docs, Unprocessed. Make sure to visit our website, connectingthedocs.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People, at ncarchives.wordpress.com. For more news and information, please visit our website, archives.ncdcr.gov.